0: You're listening to Vernacular Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to Vernacular Podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 2.
0: Yes, and we have an exciting episode lined up for you today. We are kind of in a bit of a time crunch because we are going to visit my family this weekend and we need to finish this podcast. In the next five minutes. Right.
1: And we missed valuable editing time because yours truly has been down for the count this week with a really nasty cold. Hopefully the last one of the season.
0: Yes. Yes. I think this is the third episode where we've had to either apologize or just not mention the fact that we sound super congested. I mean, this is the
1: third time (laughs) I've been sick this winter, which is, I think, a personal record for me.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I've been sick twice, so I'm just hoping that I don't get this plague that has descended upon our house. Yeah.
1: I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just now that we have a little one. We're yeah. just, you know, introduced to yeah. so many yeah. more. Yeah, well,
0: because she started this one for sure. <laughs> she did, yeah.
1: And she's still kind of recovering I from know, it. I know, I
0: know. We're going on two weeks.
1: It's been a it's been a, uh, kind a of a rough couple of weeks for us. Yeah. So anyway, we are trying to get this podcast sealed and out the door so that uh, we can stay on schedule. Yes. And hopefully we'll do that. But we are going to uh, expedite.
0: So this is going to be a quick little intro. (laughs) Quick
1: little intro. So we do want to talk about a couple of books we're reading.
0: Yes. Yeah. We haven't talked about that in a while. So I started reading Modern Romance, Aziz Ansari's book about – Modern Romance Relationships, he um, declined to write one of those kind of typical memoirs that comedians write because he'd rather just do stand-up. And instead, he partnered with some sociologists and is writing this really interesting work on modern relationships.
1: So much more ambitious. I mean, it's pretty easy to write a memoir, especially as a comedian because – that's what you do for a living, is you just it. tell just, funny stories about your life. Yeah,
0: he's just writing down his stand-up routines, basically.
1: But no, I mean, this is what we've talked about before on this show, that...
0: He's a thoughtful guy. The
1: best comedians are really thoughtful, yeah. and they basically do social... Uh, criticism through their comedy, and he is a great example of that.
0: Yeah, and so far I'm loving it. It's If you like Aziz Ansari's humor, it definitely comes through, so that's fun, but also just with some really profound thoughts and statistics and, yeah, sociological findings. Now, I
1: know his stand-up has some pretty coarse language sometimes. Does that come through in the book as well?
0: Oh, no, yeah, not yet. Um, So I don't know if it will, but I haven't experienced that yet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm really liking it, but I kind of want to finish it because – I really, really, really want to read All the Light We Cannot See, the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel. I think it won the Pulitzer last year. And it seems like everybody that I know, everyone I've seen on Instagram or podcasts that I've listened to, people are reading it and talking about it. And I just heard a synopsis of it today, and it sounds fascinating. But I'm not going to attempt to reiterate that to you because it was very complicated and I don't fully understand what's going on. So that will be the book that I will talk to you about after I've read it.
1: Nice. Well, I'm reading a book called Class 11, and it's kind of interesting. I mean, I don't know. I'm about 50 pages in maybe, and I wouldn't say I love it, but it is interesting. It's about the first class of CIA uh, clandestine service officers who were trained after September 11th. Apparently, it was the largest class in CIA history written by one of the class members, and it's sort of a memoir of sorts about the training program itself like i said not the biggest fan i mean sometimes he goes off sermonizing a little bit too much i'm I'm more curious just to hear about like the, the training program because like oh cia everyone wants to know about what the cia is like
0: but they're really not gonna tell you really intimate details right is i mean secret
1: i don't know some of the stuff that he's written about is i guess it's like surprising that he's going into the details oh, okay. that he is but no nothing crazy
0: so you've reached 50 pages. Are you going to stop reading or are you going to finish it?
1: Uh, that's a good question. Um, I I think I'm not quite sold on finishing yet. So okay. I've not decided. I think I need to read a little bit more and then decide.
0: Okay. Because, yeah, if some listeners will remember that when we talked about books over the summer, we had heard this NPR interview with a librarian who said, right. try the first 50 pages, but if you don't want to keep reading, stop. Right. Because there's
1: no rule saying. There's
0: plenty of books out there, and you don't, shouldn't have to slog through the next 100, 200 pages of a book that you don't care about when there's plenty of other books you might enjoy right. more.
1: So if you're not enjoying it, just stop. So, yeah, yeah. I might stop reading Class 11. Okay. It's, it's not a book that at this point I would heartily recommend. Yeah, yeah. However, uh, on the back burner, up next for me, is uh, The Road by Cormac McCarthy.
0: Oh, and that's a classic.
1: It is, yes. I've not read it yet. I have read No Country for Old Men, also by Cormac McCarthy. And it is surprisingly, uh, surprisingly, what's the word I've been looking for? Deep, maybe. Mm. Profound. Okay.
0: Because um, it's a quick read.
1: It is, yeah. I think it's a, I don't know, 200 pages, 250 pages. Um but it is a quick read in part because it's a very engaging story. But just the way it's written, the way the narrative unfolds, the way the narrative is told through the voices uh, in the book, specifically the voice of the this sheriff who is the kind of main character and the hero, um, really interesting. And if you've seen the movie, it's nothing like the movie. The, the Coen brothers did an adapt- adaptation of it that doesn't quite do justice to Cormac McCarthy's mm. message in the book. So if you've seen the movie and are turned off to the story by the movie, uh, check out the book. Give
0: it another chance.
1: Yeah. So anyway, I'm looking forward to opening up a second Colbert McCarthy novel.
0: Cool. All right. Well, in the interest of time, let's move along. We are going to be talking to Sophie Caldicott. She is the founder and creator of a website called A Better Place, and we will talk to you more about that in her interview. But it's dedicated to ethical living and ethical consumerism.
1: And then we're going to bring on Ishan, who you may remember from season one, talk to us about the economics of the Greek Eurozone uh, crisis.
0: And his uh, lovely wife.
1: And his lovely Julia. wife. Yeah, she will not be joining us this time, unfortunately, but she did join us in season one. But we're bringing Ishan on to talk about basketball, so that's a fun conversation our as first well.
0: first sports conversation. That's right,
1: our first sports conversation. Oh, yeah. So make sure you stick around for that. That's after we talk to Sophie, and that's all coming up.
0: All right, we're back, and this time we are sitting down with Sophie Caldicott. She is the creator of the website A Better Place, which is dedicated to ethical living and ethical consumerism. She's also a contributor to Verily. She's in charge of growth, traffic, and headlines there, and Verily will be familiar to some listeners because last season we had its founder, Janet, on to talk about Verily's mission. So, um, And on top of all that, she's also a wife and a mother. So welcome, Sophie.
2: Hi. Well, thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, we're really excited to talk with you. Um, and I thought it'd be fun to talk about the fact that you are British, as <laughs> some listeners may have caught just by your accent, but you're married to an American and now you're living in the U.S. for, I guess, the first time in your life? Yes, yeah. So how, how do you like your new home and how has the transition from the U.K. to the
2: U.S. been? Um, so I've I've visited a couple of times Um before uh, earlier in our marriage and also before getting married so um but yeah this is the first time I've lived here and um I can't drive (laughs) so that's tough (laughs) um, which yeah so um I can just about so when we moved from Oxford um and we lived about 10 minutes from the center of town so I could basically be wherever I needed to be within 10 minutes of walking which was lovely. Um, That's so, so nice. Yeah, and it's taken a while to get. I'm still waiting to get a bank card and things. So I've, the combination of those two things has meant that I felt a bit like a child being like, can I borrow $10? <laughs> <laughs> can I have a lift to uh, the post office? That kind of thing. But um, I, I love America. Obviously, I married an American, so I, um, I do... I love you guys and I I like how friendly (laughs) everyone is and, um, it's lovely to be here. That's great. (laughs) Yeah. I've, I've noticed, um, a few interesting cultural differences. Oh, please tell us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, uh, English people tend to be a lot more, well, I guess it's quite a cliche, but it's definitely true. English people tend to be a lot more, um, passive aggressive and, in American yes, a lot more direct. True. <laughs> so we've got, um, a famous story I like to tell about my husband in England, um, which kind of demonstrates this. Way. If someone, if someone in England says, um, help yourself to as many sweets uh, or ca- as much candy as you want, you know, or as much dessert or whatever it is, as you want. Um, we tend to have this kind of unspoken, like amount that, that right is. of course yeah it doesn't so actually like, mean as many as you it want and he's like okay and then finishes it all off and, uh, um no i i <laughs> i'm probably being a bit harsh on my fellow countrymen but, well it can uh, be a good thing too <laughs> sometimes
0: americans are too direct
2: <laughs> uh, no i i appreciate it and um yeah, it's nice. It's, it's a very welcoming place to come to as a foreigner, but I've noticed it does take people a while to, if I, if I speak, I feel very self-conscious of my accent. Oh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys felt that way when you were visiting in England, but I feel like, um, I feel like there's this, people take a split second longer processing what I'm saying. Hmm, and for a second, I'm like, did they hear me? Did they understand me? And then they're like, oh, okay. And you know, Reply. Yeah,
0: I guess when we lived in England I didn't unless someone was speaking really quickly I think most of the time I was able to to fully track with what they were saying yeah. and,
1: and vice versa too I think I think they're yeah. able to track what we were saying for the most part unless I was speaking really quickly and then
2: yeah <laughs> yeah well it might be that we are exposed to more American culture than Americans that's, are exposed yeah that's true oh, I mean, that's American point.
1: film and television and music
2: yeah visiting new york i'm I'm just constantly feel like I'm in a sick or more in a film <laughs> um expecting to see spider man
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I definitely know what you mean about uh the Brits being much more uh i guess reserved in their approach because uh from our time living in England. I I don't know if I've ever heard a British person say a bad thing directly about another person. They would just beat around the bush, very very <laughs> politely. So, so they're the best giving polite insults that I've ever yes. heard.
2: Greg, Greg uh, my husband says that to you. Yeah, <laughs> he says it stings more when a a British person gives an insult because it's usually a bit.
0: Ooh. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's carefully crafted. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it took a while for them to get to that
1: yeah. point of
0: needing to be direct in their criticism. Right. <laughs> well, I hope the transition continues to be good for you and um, that, that you don't miss your home too much.
1: Will you be able to get a driver's license soon?
2: Yeah, I need to get around to that. We, <laughs> Yeah, it will be it will be a lot easier. That's one of the things that actually I really dislike about the States is that you can't really uh you need a a license you can't right get where you need to just by walking walking or by public transport
1: yeah that's one of the things that we talk about from our time in england that that we miss the most yeah i mean we didn't have a car in england and we didn't need it and it was great i think we rented a car twice while we were there and it was to you know drive two and a half hours to a wedding and
0: yeah yeah it um, makes me sad to be so dependent on a car
2: (laughs) yeah. yeah when i arrived i asked around if if I could get a bike and cycle, but, um, the, all of the shops are, um, kind of so far out and also
1: in. Right. And there's not dedicated bike roads. Exactly.
2: Yeah. They're all kind of, it's not like you can cycle into town and then there's a, a a kind of cycle friendly.
1: Right. Now of course it does depend on where you are. I I can't speak from experience Mm. living in these areas, but I've heard that the Pacific Northwest is pretty bike friendly. Uh, I've lived in uh, some places in Colorado, and Colorado is a pretty bike-friendly state in general. Yeah. But but where you are in the Northeast, not really a big biking culture, mm. unfortunately.
2: Yeah, well, it's um, uh, it's all bigger and everything's further apart. And... Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, let's
0: talk about a better place. Tell us, tell us about it and And
1: by a better place, I mean the the, the website that you <laughs> a better you've place. started.
0: Yes, the website. Um what is its purpose and mission? And yeah, just tell us about how you started it.
2: Yeah, so um we um did a crown. uh we we launched it officially in October, um just past. And um before that about a year before that we did a crowdfunder to um raise the funds to create the website um and it's basically it's a website dedicated to showcasing um different positive impact brands for every area of life and The idea is that uh we're trying to prove that for every single product that you ever need to buy there's a positive impact um version or alternative um and so it has products and um, organized by section, so um, bathroom, ladies and gentlemen, and wardrobe uh, accessories, um, cleaning products, um, food, and uh, nursery and home homeware things. Um, and then we also have articles, um, kind of exploring some of the issues around ethical consumerism so ultimately we're hoping to um create an app because i think it will work best and be most useful to people as an app where you can just type in on your phone um whatever it is that you need so say it's a pair of jeans and you can type in jeans um size uh, your location and price range and then come up with a bunch of different alternatives that's that's what we'd like to do eventually. Um but yeah, at the moment there's um we we've started small and we'll hopefully build up until we have a really um large selection of products for everybody to browse through on the website. So it's not it's not a shop. Um it's just we carefully research all these different products and do little write-ups about them and say um, give them different badges depending on their credentials and the brand's credentials so it also means that you can um be on a lookout for um the different priority areas that you might have personally so uh whether that's okay. fair trade or the environment or um something being handcrafted or um a product giving back to charity in, in some way um yeah so you can because personally i prioritize something being fairly traded um but i know, but my co-founder um and best friend from school she she her big priority is the environment so um she would always look for that badge and i would always look for the fairly traded badge um yeah and um it's so it was kind of created because we ever since we were at school, which was, um, I realized today that it was 10 years ago that we left high school. Um, (sighs) Maddie and I, who's the, she's the co-founder. She, we been kind of collecting, being, becoming more and more aware of these different brands, doing all these great things and, and even different apps and different resources and different websites, um, doing great things. And I felt like um, it's hard to keep track of them all. And so I guess the idea behind it is just to um, have one place where you can come back to and be like, oh, yeah, that was a really great um, toothbrush company, you know, <laughs> yeah. or or, or um, whatever it is. And um, it's, it's one, one way to reduce the mental clutter of kind of trying to have to keep track of all these people doing these great things. And also the, the other side to it is, um, proving that um, it's not—it doesn't have to be a luxury way of life. That that there are these little changes that you can make. Uh, maybe not all in one go to everything across the board, but um, you know, if you're looking for, a, you can start small. And you know, you're looking for a gift for someone. Um, buy buy someone a gift that gives back, as well as being a nice present for them that's great Um, so it doesn't have to be this
0: massive overhaul of your entire life right at at the beginning
2: yeah exactly um and it's a kind of every little helps attitude um that we're taking and um I think and it's just it's just been really fun to discover all of these great brands doing great things and there literally is a brand for Pretty
1: much everything. Yeah, I, I was going to say that. Yeah. One of the things I appreciate about your site is that you have uh, the various product badges. I think there are five of them. Um, and so, I mean, like yeah. you mentioned, ethical consumerism means different things to different people. So for you, it's fair trade. For your friend, it's sustainability. And the other ones you have are uh, cruelty-free yeah. for good animal welfare, the
3: mm-hmm.
1: handmade one for unique craftsmanship. And then the gives back for sales benefit worthy causes. And I think that's pretty neat because there's a variety of options. It's not uh, you know, you're not coming at it from only one angle, which is helpful.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So how do you go about choosing the products and brands that you decide to showcase on the website as fitting these ethical badges?
2: Yeah, so one of the ways that we're working, and we haven't got there yet because we all have day jobs (laughs) um, (laughs) at the moment, so we're Our goal is to eventually have, um, for the States and for the UK, the kind of ultimate, um, one version of every product. Um, the, the main products that every normal person uses in everyday life. So one toothpaste, one, um, toilet cleaner, one,
1: one pair of jeans,
2: a pair of jeans. Exactly. Um, for the U.K. and for the U.S., so encouraging more local buying there as well. At the moment, it's not quite as complete as we would like it to be, but we're going to get there slowly but surely. And the other thing that makes it um, quite a big goal is that we, we want to have tested all of the cleaning products and all of the beauty products um, uh, ourselves and all of the food, basically all of the um, uh, the products that really you have to try tried to be able to recommend <laughs> um, wholeheartedly. So we've been doing that slowly um, and uh, comparing kind of different price points and different ethical credentials and um, just how good the product is as well. So that hopefully we'll eventually have the best product from every way you can think of it so it it if it's food it tastes great and it has as many ethical credentials as possible um and yes and and isn't too expensive hopefully
1: now you mentioned uh on your site that uh, the whole idea for a better place emerged out of an incredibly difficult time for your family yeah Uh, and then it is the site itself is dedicated to Stratford Caldecott your late father Would you mind telling us a little bit about your relationship with your father and his influence in the creation of a better place?
2: Yeah. So he knew that it was something I'd been thinking about doing for a long time. Um, and we talked about it and things and he, towards the end of his life, he got very interested in, um, in the environment and, um, ethical trade and, uh, Catholic social teaching and, how different ways that we can create a fair society and a a just society and um he and be good stewards as well of the environment um and so we talked a lot about that um and the name a better place um came from something that he said to me when i was a child which was um when he was cleaning up he we, we were leaving the beach one day and he was picking up various bits of litter that people had um trash i guess americans say um, that people had yeah. thrown on the beach and i was like dad we didn't throw that on the beach you don't have to pick those up and um he said we're not just trying to um we're not just trying to clean up what we what we threw on the ground we're trying to we should try and clean up the mess other people have made as well we need to leave the world better than we found it um not just the same as we found it so that always stuck with me um and yeah so that's where the name came from and um yeah, I, I, um one of the one of the last kind of conversations we had was about again about leaving the world better than you found it and so um it just seemed it just seemed really a good way of honoring him and also in the long term when we um make it into a, a fully fledged business we're hoping to um be able to donate all the profits that we make to prostate cancer research and to hospice care as well so that's great um ultimately yeah we 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 thought it would be cool to really practice what we preach and as much as um for brands to work with us they can know that it's kind of advertising that gives back as well (laughs) so it's kind of completing the circle which i think is a lovely idea
1: yeah it really Um, is yeah your your story from the beach it makes me think i mean especially now that i'm a father to a little girl, it makes me think about how important some of these moments are. I mean, I don't know I don't know what points will stand out to Esther twenty years from now, but maybe maybe some of the conversations that we'll have in mm-hmm. then in just the next few years will shape what she does in the rest of her life. And I think that's really amazing. But it kind of opens up a segue here for our conversation because I know that you and your husband Gregory are the parents to I think it's two kids now.
2: Um. Just the one.
1: Okay. Just the one. <laughs> yeah. Well, still, that's a. I mean, we're parents to just one as well, and it's a really big <laughs> job. So, how do you guys kind of balance work life? We're always interested to talk to our guests about how they balance work and family.
2: Yeah. Um. Well, for a while, when um. When Gregory had finished his DPhil and I was working, um, and he was working on job applications and academic articles and things we because it we had kind of flexible work that we could fit we could work out when we were going to do our hours as long as we got the hours in at some point um we did a a kind of quite a straightforward division of the childcare, um whereby we'd kind of do every other day one person would take um evangeline and the other person would work or kind of, you have the morning and I have the afternoon, that kind of thing. Um, but now uh, he's working at the local school here. Um, we have childcare in the morning for, uh, from 9 till 12. Um, so I can do a couple of hours in the morning. And then uh, I get Eva back for lunch and then I put her down for her nap. And then I get a few more hours in after during her nap after lunch. Um, and then we have, and then Greg gets home from school and we have a couple of hours in the afternoon before dinner to both be with Eva, which is really nice.
1: Um, yeah, that's my favorite yeah. time of day when I get home and Sally and I can both spend time with Esther. Yeah, It's the best part of my day.
2: It It's, it's really nice to have that. And, but I know that we're I know that that's it's actually a really nice arrangement now these days because it means that we both have time to work and we both have time together with Eva, um, and it's not always possible to to do that. And especially when, if I don't know what um, what his hours will be like when he gets an academic job and whether he'll have to work later. But um, we we both would love to be able to keep. Um, a good balance and keep that that precious time of both having time with her every day. Um, if we can, we'd like to go add that, but I know sometimes it's a luxury. Um, yeah,
1: absolutely. It's so important though. I mean, we've yeah. talked about that a lot. I mean, as, as our, um, as, as, uh, as our kind of future develops and holds a lot of uncertainty, it's one of our priorities is that yeah. we have a lot of family time and whatever, yeah. whatever jobs we may find down the road, there's a lot of family time built in.
2: Yeah. And, um, I was having a debate with someone about, um, uh, motherhood and working and feminism, um, recently. And <laughs> I was just explaining that I thought if, if any any parent was working so much that they were not really seeing their child at the beginning and the end of the day, that you know whether that's the mother or the father, I think that's going to be difficult for the child and it's going to have an impact on your relationship and on their development. So, um, so I think, yeah, I think that stands for the for whoever's um, for for both parents that it's. Really, really good to be able to prioritize. Yeah, absolutely. Having that special time, and and that's something else my dad said as well. Um, when he uh, when he was really sick at the end, he um, he said um, he wished it had more time with us and um, more. We were talking about a really special trip that we made together, um, me and him, to Ireland when I was sixteen, and it was really for formative trip that we took together just me and dad and it, it felt very um special to have that time just with him and um we and he did he did a lot of that but I've I've, I've read an article as well saying that what people say when they're dying is not you know I wish I'd spent more time working or <laughs> more money or anything it's yeah that, you know you want to be spending quality time with people that you love and um yeah. I wish
0: we could go through our lives with that perspective. <laughs> I think yeah. it's sometimes hard to remember that in the moment, but it's good to have those reminders from, from people like your father.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and and I, I'm, I'm also a big one for kind of trying to guard the time that you actually need to work so that you can um, have that concentrated time working so you can put the work aside when you've you know so I guess work hard play hard
0: yeah yeah <laughs>
2: um because I think as a mother especially if you're especially if you're the kind of primary caregiver you're this stay-at-home mother or work-at-home mother um the work and the child care can get a bit muddled up so you often find yourself kind of sitting there at your laptop trying to work while you've got the child there um and since we've got the childcare to, to help me have some focused work time, it's been a lot better. And I just felt better about spending time with um, Eva. Yeah, you don't have to have it, that divided yeah, attention. Exactly, yeah. So um, I don't think that you're really getting the best work time in or the best um, quality time with the child in if you're trying to do both. And sometimes you have to do that, but I just really hated that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I'm a huge fan of not bringing your work home with you. I mean, yeah. even in situations where you have to work from home, I'm in favor of having a dedicated area of your home where you work, you know, like a mm. an office or even if it's just a desk, if you don't have the space for a separate office, a desk where the work happens. And when yeah. you're not at the desk, the work doesn't happen, you know.
2: yeah, not trying to yeah. do both at once. Right. Yeah, and I think um, whichever spouse is um, working outside of the home, it's it's really important that they support the, other, the, the person who's trying to work from home um, in that and saying, you know, that they're, they're working now or this is, right. You know, yeah. This is, daddy's working. Exactly.
1: Time. Yep. Um, and, yeah. Cause
2: otherwise that could
0: be, con- it can be confusing. <laughs> well, they're yeah. home, so they're going to play with me all the time.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. But it, you can make it work. And there's, it's so great that um, there are so many options for, Working online and from home, um, I just think it's a it's a really good principle to try and protect that that time and keep it separate, like you were saying, Zach. Yeah. Um, yeah.
1: Well, okay, I want to circle back, if we can, and talk a little bit more yeah. about a better place. Um, so, as we've been having this conversation, I've just had a little bit more time to think about what you were saying and kind of future plans for expansion and your idea Mm -hmm. of creating an app specifically. Uh, I was also wondering if you've thought about uh, branching out into making your own products of some sort. I mean, even something relatively simple, like a toiletry line or something like that, that could be ethically sourced from the get-go. Is that something that's on your radar that you guys would have an interest in doing?
2: Well, um, actually, my my co-founder, Maddie, um, she has... uh, a big interest in um, natural cosmetics and and, uh, beauty products and things. Oh,
1: there it is.
2: (laughs) She would love to eventually do her own line, I think. And my personal interest is in um, ethical fashion, and that's kind of the background I came from. I um, worked for a little while at the Ethical Fashion Forum, and that's where my interest in fair trade and um, ethical sourcing Originally came from, and then it spread to all the other products in our lives um but i don't I don't feel like um I think it would be fun to collaborate with someone, but I don't feel like uh when when I was growing up, often I dreamed about having my own fashion line, but I don't feel like that's something I'm called to anymore i I feel more like I'm the person who writes about it, promotes it. <laughs> I, the promotes curator. It. yeah, and the other thing is that. In doing the in building the website and in the work that I did previously, I just came across so many great brands that I feel like people are doing this already. And I, um, yeah, I my, my real skill is writing and in promoting. So I want to get what they're doing out there um, rather than creating my own stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah fair enough. Well, yeah. I think I think your idea of an app is great. I mean, it's it's very accessible, uh, if it's in that medium. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think if you can, obviously, the the big thing with the app for me, at least, anytime I open one, is is it is it aesthetically pleasing and does it operate yeah, smoothly? Easy to
0: use. Yeah. And if
1: it's those things, yeah, I guess intuitive, aesthetically pleasing, and functional operates well. And if it's those yeah. things, I mean, that's definitely an app I would download so I can figure out what. <laughs> What type of toothpaste or tooth yeah. toothbrush or blue jeans to buy? Yeah. So I think you're doing really good work there. For our listeners who want to check out what Sophie and her team are up to, the website is a You can also follow them on Twitter at at underscore a underscore better place. Did I get all that right, Sophie? Yeah.
0: And Instagram. Yeah. What's uh, your handle on Instagram again?
2: Our Instagram is a better place journal. At a better place journal. Which I and love following
0: actually, because then you just have the photo, the images right there.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's actually the platform that we're most um, active on at the moment just because Instagram is a great um, resource for discovering brands and um, it's also so image-based, obviously, that right. Right. it's just really fun. To, yeah, it's
1: great for product curation.
2: Yeah, exactly. Be, be sharing all of these different brands on there. So if you follow us on there, on instagram you'll get a whole bunch of also um you'll get all of the brands that we're hoping to feature in the future in the near future ahead of time
1: sounds great all right so once again instagram at a better place
2: a better place journal oh a
1: better place journal twitter (laughs) at underscore a underscore better place and then on the web at better place journal a better place journal (laughs) Yeah, a a better place A better place journal. <laughs> we'll also put this on our blog
2: so that
1: it's <laughs> yeah, clear. No one gets
2: confused.
0: And you see all that. Sophie, <laughs> yeah, thanks so much our... for
1: joining us. It was great to talk yeah, to you about yeah, this. Thank you for sharing
0: so many stories and being open about um your your own story.
1: And we hope your transition to the US continues to be relatively smooth and you can get your driver's license soon and all of that. So
2: Thank you so much for having me. It was lovely to talk to you. It was lovely to talk to you. Bye. Bye.
1: All right. We're back to Vernacular Podcast. Now, uh, our next topic is pretty interesting. We've not spent much time on this podcast so far talking about sports at all, but we need to today. The reason being there's something very special going on in the NBA. That's the National Basketball Association for you in non-sports you people.
2: Wondering. <laughs>
1: if you don't watch basketball, you should at least be watching some NBA action this year and especially watching the Golden State Warriors who are the perennial doormat of their division, but not any longer. Now they're defending champions in the NBA. And they're led by a guy named Stephen Curry, Steph Curry for short, who is setting all kinds of records en route to one of the greatest seasons that the NBA has ever seen. So he's a really impressive guy to watch for a whole bunch of reasons. We're going to talk about those with our guest, Ishan Nath. Now, those of you who have been longtime listeners of Vernacular will recognize Ishan from season one. when We talked to Ishan and his wife, Julia. But Ishan is a Ph.D. in economics student at the University of Chicago. And on the side, he loves all things sports and especially all things basketball. So, uh, Ishan, welcome to the show.
3: Thanks for having me. Always great to be here.
1: Great to have you back. Now, uh, I want to hear all about Steph Curry. But first, I have to say the Golden State Warriors are chasing the record of the 95-96 Chicago Bulls in getting a 10-loss season. I think the Bulls were 72 wins, 10 losses, and that's the best record ever in the history of the NBA.
0: Go Chicago!
1: I know, yeah, Sally, right. <laughs> Sally's from Chicago. You should I know you are as well, and you're a diehard Bulls fan, so do you hope that the Warriors break the record or not? Are you conflicted?
3: Ooh. I would say that I'm conflicted. I spent most of the season cheering for them. My dad is rooting for the Warriors to go 71-11, and, 11, and okay. I think maybe... That's the way I lean sometimes. It is kind of cool. That the Bulls have the best record in NBA history. And uh, so I love the Warriors. I love Steph. Steve Kerr, their coach, um, played for those 95, 96 Chicago Bulls. And was my wow. favorite player when I was a kid. And I got his autograph once when I was eight years old. Oh, that's awesome. Wow, that's yeah. Nice. cool. Yeah. Um, there's a lot to love about the Warriors. I think that... Uh, as someone who is married to someone from the Bay Area, she she does cheer for the Bulls, but uh, my wife, Julia, that is. Uh, but I know a lot of Bay Area sports fans, and I think that as much as they're some of my best friends, I would prefer that my team, not their team, be the greatest team in NBA history. <laughs> it so, makes sense. I understand. I, I think if the Warriors played in like some random city where I didn't have a lot of friends, I would definitely cheer for them to break 72-10, because I love the guys on their team. But I think I... Maybe with slightly fifty one forty nine, prefer they fall a little short.
1: Now, what about just having a seventy two and ten season? Is that acceptable?
3: Ooh, that would actually maybe be perfect.
1: Just kind of split the difference, and they ended up tied, but they don't surpass the ninety five ninety six
3: Bulls. Yes. Yeah, I think I can handle that. That sounds
1: good. Well, uh, I don't have the same uh, conflict that you do because I'm a Sixers fan. So <laughs> <laughs> there's just nothing good going on in uh, Philadelphia basketball right now. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Talk to us about uh, Steph Curry. What's the secret to his magic?
3: So the most obvious secret is that he's the greatest shooter in the history of basketball, and it's not close. Like, it's really not close. So the easiest way to think about this is just to look at the volume of the three-pointers he takes and makes. And obviously, when you take more volume, you have to take tougher and tougher shots because Everybody in the world knows Steph wants to shoot threes, so the defense is really focused on preventing him from shooting threes. But despite that, and despite the fact that he already set the record for most threes in a season in 2012-2013 with 272, and then broke that record himself last season with 276, he's massively improved and increased the number of threes he's making in every game this season. So right now they've played, the Warriors are 56 and six. They've played 62 games. It's an 82 game season and Steph's already made over 300 three pointers. Oh my which- goodness. With a quarter of the season left, he's already shattered his own record. <laughs> four, of, four of the top six seasons in three-pointers made in NBA history are now Steph. He's 28 years old, I think, and he's already 11th in NBA history in total threes made in his career. He's that's probably got another crazy. decade left to play. Uh, so he's averaging, I think, over, I think he's averaging 5.1 made three-pointers per game this season, which is like usually when a guy hits five threes in the game, that's like, oh my God, what a crazy game. But Steph's averaging five threes a game. He's regular regularly hitting 9, 10, 11. A few days ago, he set the NBA record, uh, tied the NBA record against the Thunder with, I think, I think was it 13 made threes? Or yeah, I think it was 13. 13?
1: I think maybe it was 12 of, 12 of 13 shots. Does that sound right? Wow.
3: Uh, I think he missed a few more than that. Okay. But anyways, it was also pretty cool because the record-tying shot was a 38-foot game winner with 0.6 seconds left in overtime.
1: Uh, I did I did we, see that think, and yeah. it was incredible. Was I showed insane. I showed that to Sally.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So the so the volume is pretty crazy. Just to think that he already was the record holder and he's on pace to break his record by like thirty percent. He's on pace to hit four hundred threes, and the record is two hundred and seventy six, which is his own record. Uh so that's pretty cool. The second thing that's really cool about the amount of threes that he takes is the amount of threes he takes from way, way downtown. So this season he's from outside 28 feet. Now, the three-point line in the NBA is 23 feet, 6 inches. So, 28 feet is way beyond where the three-point line is. Most guys don't shoot from out there because it's usually a pretty terrible shot. You guys shoot a really low percentage. Uh, but Steph this season is 36 for 59 from outside 28 feet. Holy Which cow. is si- 61%. Wow. So, to give you an idea, so nobody else in the NBA has made more than 12. Damian Lillard is second with 12 made threes from outside that range. And the rest of the league shoots under 20% from outside 28 feet. (gasps) Uh, And so Curry, 61%, to to contextualize that, the rest of the NBA is shooting 59.5% from inside three feet
1: oh my gosh wow
3: obviously the shots inside three feet are a lot of them are well contested but still uh, uh, literally when people say that a 30 footer is like a layup for curry it is literally like a layup except you get an extra point uh so that's pretty cool so he's shooting 11 threes per game so he's not just taking threes but he's taking off the dribble really contested Off-balance threes from way deeper than normal guys take them. And yet he's third in the league in percentage. He's shooting 46.1%, which is close to J.J. Redick, who's leading the league at just under 48%. So what he's doing just in terms of volume of threes but still managing to shoot them efficiently, just it's just – it's not enough to say it's never been done before. Like, it's just a whole nother planet of basketball. Like, nobody has ever seen anything remotely similar to this before.
1: Yeah, so I, I read an article on 538 called Stephen Curry, or sorry, Stephen Curry is the Revolution, and it was making that point, and obviously the title of this is saying that this is a revolution in the way we think about how to play the game of basketball. So can you, t- can you contextualize this a little bit more? Like, What is the significance of the way Steph Curry is
3: using the three-pointer? So I think there's two answers to that. The first is that, yes, in general, the three-pointer, as we've advanced the analytics and people understand, it's actually a really good idea to take more shots where you get an extra point if you make it, uh, is becoming a bigger part of the NBA and a lot of the more successful teams, like the Spurs. I think last season, the four teams who made the conference finals, the Hawks, Rockets, Spurs, and Warriors, were all among the league leaders in three-pointers taken and made uh, so it's definitely becoming a bigger part of the game and I think that Curry represents that the most. But I think what's important to remember is that Curry's not just exploiting some new statistics about guys taking more threes. There's nobody who can repeat what he's doing. There's nobody in the, there's nobody in the league who just by playing a little smarter or using a different strategy could do this because there's nobody who can burst the threes at this, efficiency and at this difficulty level of three-pointers it's really hard to get a good look at a three-point shot in the NBA because as offenses have gotten smarter about trying to create more threes defensive defenses have gotten smarter about trying to prevent threes and so it's not like you can just walk into a three-point shot and there's very very few guys in the league Damian Lillard's one of them but there's very few guys who can even take off the dribble contested threes and even have like a decent chance of making them and Curry's making them at like a league leading three point shooting efficiency. So it's, so there is a revolution more generally going on where NBA teams are looking to take more three point shots, but Steph Curry himself is a whole separate revolution from that.
1: Makes sense. Now here's another question for you. Do you think that this, and this is kind of, this is not so much about Steph Curry as, as it is about the Warriors, but the Warriors obviously chasing the, Uh, the historic mark on the regular season, but also trying to repeat their championship. Do you think that they'll do it? Because it seems like their strategy largely pins on Steph Curry making his threes. So the best example of this is his game against the Lakers a couple nights ago when he only made one of his three-point attempts. So he kept his streak alive. He's still going, I think, 132 straight games with a three-point made, which is a record. Uh, But he barely did. And because of his bad night, the Warriors lost – uh very badly to the Lakers when they were when the Lakers were going into that game severe underdogs. So do you think that where the Warriors can pull off a championship?
3: Oh, absolutely. I think the Warriors are a very, very heavy favorite and should be. They're 56 and 6, so these bad nights you're talking about are happening less frequently than they're happening to any other team in league history. The Warriors top to bottom have a lot of really great players that support support the way Curry plays. And uh I think that to beat them four times in seven games is going to be very, very difficult for anybody. Now, the Spurs also are having a historically great season. They're they're in contention for possibly a top 10, 15, 20 team of all time. Not that I have any great numbers on that. But the Spurs, are. I think they only have 10 losses. They're like 52-10 and 10 or something. So it's certainly not like the Warriors won't have competition. But the Warriors absolutely should and will be the favorites against anybody. And I do expect them to not really not really. have much trouble winning another championship.
1: And of course, they're, they're in the same conference the with Spurs. the Spurs, so as long as they can get past the Spurs, you'd think that they can lock up the championship, right?
3: I do. I do. But I think it's worth noting, so, so we talk a lot about the Warriors and they're not just winning a historical percentage of their games, they're also doing it by really blowing teams out and their point margin is really big and it's very impressive. And I think that Lost in and, you know, Draymond Green and Klay Thompson obviously are very well deserving all-stars. They're also great players. Draymond is totally, totally unique, really, in the way that he is able to guard every position on the court, play center, take care of all the rebounding and defense of a big man while also having the passing and ball handling skills of a guard. Uh, Klay Thompson, second in the NBA in three-pointers made on the same team as Curry. So there's a lot of talent there. You know, the depth. We haven't even talked about finals MVP, Andre Iguodala. Uh, So there's a lot to talk about with the Warriors, and I think people spend a lot of time, justifiably so, discussing the variety and depth of talent on their roster. But I think that, honestly, in this conversation about how stacked the Warriors are, somehow Curry, even though he's... easily going to win back-to-back MVPs is still somewhat underrated just in the sense that I think people don't understand just how deeply Curry drives that historically great performance. So I have some numbers here to back this up. So the Warriors, so in basketball, we have these plus-minus off-on statistics. So looking at how teams do when a player's on the court versus when they're off the court. And they're sort of dangerous statistics to use because there's a lot of omitted variable bias, as we would say in econometrics, uh, in the sense that you don't know which opponents were on and off the court when Curry was on and off the court, or right. which teammates were on and off the court. And there's a lot of stuff going on. But they're still like not totally useless stats. And I think that, as I'll mention in a second, there's there's some lessons we can take away from the Curry ones. But particularly in this case, they're totally staggering. So the Warriors... Uh, with Steph on the court, the Warriors are plus 19.6 points per 100 possessions. And 100 possessions is like close to an NBA game, roughly in length, for the sort of the team with the average pace plays about that many possessions. So the Warriors basically are winning games by about 20 points per game with Curry on the court. And with Curry off the court, they're minus five and a half points per 100 possessions. And while it's true that he sits while some of the other starters sit, he also sits against the other. Their team's bench players um and they get so the warriors get way better on defense they average 14 more points per 100 possessions with Steph on the court but they also get eight points per game better on defense um, and most of the advanced stats uh and the player tracking data that we have now shows that Curry's also a really good defense player but the point of the story here is that the Warriors offense is so uniquely potent because they have a lot of talent, but also because Steph is by so far the best offensive player in the league. So Curry averages a little over six assists per game, but I think that actually dramatically understates the amount he sets up offense for his teammates, because when you watch the Warriors play, the beginning of a lot of their offense is somebody setting a pick for Curry 30 feet away from the basket, and usually when somebody's doing something 30 feet away from the basket, the defense doesn't really have to pay a lot of attention to them, but when it's Curry... And somebody sets a pick on his man. So pick is when I don't know if this is necessary for people who don't. No, watch no, please, yeah, please explain. A, a pick is basically when you stand still and get in the way of somebody's defender so that they have a momentary advantage and get a step or two ahead of their defender while their defender's navigating their way around you. Um, so the so the Warriors' offense frequently starts out by having Draymond Green, one of the bigger guys on their team, or Andrew Bogut, their center set of pick for curry and curry comes around that and his defenders that a step or two behind him and for most guys in the nba if somebody gets a little bit open 30 feet away from the basket the defense doesn't have to worry about it too much because most guys don't shoot that shot but with right. curry what you see almost all teams doing now is double teaming off that pick so that that means the other team's big man so the guy who's guarding bogut or Draymond green will step up and guard Curry as his man's recovering. And then when his man recovers, there's effectively two defenders on Curry. And, he, and when he gets rid of the ball, when he passes it out of that double team, the Warriors are basically playing four on three for three or four seconds. And so really when you watch the Warriors play offense, they're playing four on three for most of the game. When Curry comes, starts the play, he hits this double team, he's 30 feet away from the basket – And there's all this space and four Warriors and only three defenders. And so an underrated statistic is that Steph leads the league in hockey assists, which a regular assist in basketball is when you pass it to someone and they score. But in hockey, they count assists if you pass it to someone and they pass it to someone and the third guy scores. And so Steph's averaging two and a half hockey assists per game, which is about 25% more than anyone else in the league. John Wall's second at 1.9. And I think that Really, the dominance of the Warriors' offense relies very heavily on the fact that Curry draws such an unprecedented amount of attention 30 feet away from the basket that his teammates are just always playing with an advantage and always getting good open looks that they wouldn't get if he weren't doing something at the very beginning of the play that's throwing the defense totally out of whack. Every, all five guys in an NBA defense matter, and if you have two of them lunging out 30 feet away from the basket, that's going to make everything easier for his teammates. So I think that as much as we talk about how great Curry is and how great the Warriors are, I think the full impact of Curry on the Warriors is still not appreciated. And I think the best example of this is last year's NBA Finals when the Warriors won. Steph didn't shoot very well, and so he didn't win Finals MVP. Andre Iguodala did. Um, And Iguodala guarded LeBron James, did a really good job on defense, he made some shots, he played well. He definitely played very well in the finals, and this isn't to take anything away from him, but I personally thought it was an absolute joke that Curry didn't win MVP, just because the Warriors' offense is only good because of Curry. I mean, it, it would Not to say it would be terrible without Curry, but it certainly would not be this historically great offense. And in my opinion, if you replaced Curry with sort of an average MVP, the Warriors would become like an average sort of title contending good team. But Curry is having a season and just playing at a level that's so much better than even guys who've been winning MVPs in the NBA for the last few decades.
0: So should we be concerned that there's like, is there an end in sight to his to how amazing he is? If he just keeps getting better and better, I mean, isn't he going to burn out at some point?
3: Uh, I mean, such is the circle of life. Everybody gets old. (laughs) Yes, he will die,
1: Sally. That's true. (laughs) Thank
3: you. (laughs) He's only 28. So barring injury, early in his career, he had some ankle problems. And that's actually why he's on an incredibly cheap contract. I think his contract is four years, $44 million, which is obviously a ton of money. But right now... But relative uh, to what he's, he's
1: either, doing, yeah.
3: He's, I think he's like the fourth or fifth highest paid Warrior. So I think Iguodala, Clay Thompson, uh, Draymond Green, and Andrew Bogut all make more money. I would have to look it up. And Harrison Barnes is about to free, be a free agent. He'll make more money soon, too. So it's, so it's definitely also helped the Warriors build such a great team to have this historical superstar on like a good role-player sort of contract.
1: But here's, here's the other side of that is, you know, the injuries were part of it, but also it seemed like people didn't really see this coming. Curry's writing the rules, rewriting the rules now, and is putting together a historic season and a potentially a historic career. But who saw this coming? I mean, uh, this kid was, uh, was not recruited by major programs out of college, right?
3: Yeah, so Steph was a three-star recruit by Rivals, and he really wanted to play at Virginia Tech, reportedly, where his dad went to college. His dad, Del Curry, also played in the NBA, played for the Charlotte Hornets, also a very good three-point shooter. Um, not not at Steph's level, but very good player himself. Uh, and so Steph really wanted to follow in his footsteps and play at Virginia Tech, according to at least what's been reported. Maybe he said that himself. I'm not sure, but Virginia Tech wasn't in interested. Neither were any of the big schools. So he went to Davidson, uh, and of course had a really great career there. They made the elite eight in 2008 behind some really great shooting from Steph narrowly lost to Kansas, but I think three points in the regional in the regional final, I guess. So the chance to wow. to the final four, uh, and little known fact, Julia, my wife and I, or my wife, Julia, um, big football fan, was not a big basketball fan until we started dating. But on our first date, I was already a really big Steph Curry fan in 2009. And Steph was a junior at Davidson then. But I really like watching guys who shoot a lot of threes in college. And uh, so I showed Julia a bunch of Steph Curry YouTube videos on our first date. And the fact that she was kind of enjoying it and didn't think it was a weird thing to do on our first date. (laughs) Thank you, Definitely one of the reasons we're married.
1: That's awesome. Well, Ishan, thanks so much for coming on the show and walking us through all the great stuff about Steph Curry and the Warriors. It's pretty exciting.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me. I always love talking basketball, and I'm glad that somebody was listening today.
1: All right, here's one final question for you before we go. I know we haven't talked college basketball at all really here, but uh, do you have a prediction for who's going to win it all in March Madness?
3: I have not watched very much college basketball this year outside of my very, very mediocre Stanford team, Um, But, and I don't really have a prediction, but I will say that the one team that I try to tune in and watch is Oklahoma because they have this shooting guard, Buddy Heald, who has a good chance to win National Player of the Year, who maybe isn't Steph Curry, but is definitely on that level of guys who are shooting three-pointers so well that I want to watch all their games so if you're picking and choosing which games to watch in March Madness I encourage you to tune in some Oklahoma games
1: all right fair enough sounds good we'll do that thanks so much Ishan we appreciate it
3: thanks yeah thanks for having me talk to you guys soon
1: all right sounds good
0: All right, we're back to wrap things up with episode two of season three. If you haven't yet reached out to us, you should. We would love to hear your thoughts on any of our episodes. You can call us at seven one nine
1: three five seven nine two two one.
0: Yes, you can email us at Zack and Sally at vernacularpodcast.com. You can reach out to us on Twitter at Vernacular Pod and Facebook. Facebook.com slash Vernacular Podcast. Nailed it. Yes. That's the first time. Yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah. We'd love to hear from you. uh, We'd also also, love
1: love it if you rated us on iTunes. We haven't solicited ratings in a while uh, and we're doing pretty well on ratings, but we want more because it helps us get visibility and spread our listenership. So please do that. If you wouldn't mind, head to uh, your iTunes app on your iPhone or uh, iTunes on your computer and rate us there. If and even li- if you
0: don't want to write a review, you can just rate, you, you know, one, two, three, four, five stars. stars. And- you can just click a number of stars.
1: You give us a one-star review if you want. Be honest. That's all we're asking for, <laughs> honest feedback. Uh, if you listen to us on a platform other than iTunes, please feel free to rate us there as well. All ratings help, so we appreciate that. And, yes, please do reach out to us. We always want to hear feedback from our listeners. Let us know what you're liking, what you're not liking. Let us know what you think of the various things we talk about and the guests we bring on.
0: Give us ideas for new things to talk
1: please about. Please do. Yeah, join the conversation. This is a uh, a community endeavor. So.
0: And speaking of community endeavor, we want you to join us in watching Steph Curry – play with his other warriors on saturday night saturday march 19th virtually
1: speaking we are not uh hosting a watch party (laughs) (laughs) true Uh, maybe maybe another time yeah uh but maybe we'll be live tweeting it Hmm. Ooh, yeah i'll have to see (laughs) uh but yes so we talked about steph curry with ishan steph curry and his golden state warriors are headed to san antonio on saturday night at 8 30 eastern on abc now i'm sounding like a sportscaster or something (laughs) uh they are going to San Antonio, and this is a big deal because the San Antonio Spurs are the second best team in basketball. So this is a clash of titans. So the and Warriors are the top team? The top, yeah. Okay.
0: Wow. And one this, versus
1: two. Right. One versus two. But the bigger deal, I think, is well, there's kind of two sides to this. One, we already talked about the Golden State Warriors chasing history, trying to beat the 95 to 96 Bulls mark. But two, the San Antonio Spurs are riding one of the longest home winning streaks, I think, in NBA history. Wow. They've not lost at home this year yet.
0: So they both have historic streaks. Right.
1: They both have. Uh, that th- could th- end. The stakes Saturday are night. high. The stakes are high. So it's going to be a great game and wow. a lot of fun to watch. So if you're free. Saturday night, March nineteenth, eight thirty Eastern on ABC. Check out the Golden State Warriors take on the San Antonio Spurs.
0: Exciting!
1: And follow us on Twitter while you're doing that, if you want to see uh, totally our
0: fascinating <laughs> comments,
1: our, our on the in-game game. analysis from people who don't know basketball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, he jumped really high. Wow, at Steph Curry, jump so high. <laughs> wow, nice dunk.
0: Just lots of wows.
1: Um, alright, well I think that about wraps it up I think for so. us here at the Yeah, Nactor. join us in a
0: couple weeks for episode three.
1: Episode three of season three.
0: Yeah, and have a good Easter in the meantime.
1: That's right. Alright, for Actor Podcast, I'm Zach. And I'm Sally. Have a great week.
3: Feeling better than ever. When I'm by your side. 8